Okay, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Science Welcome in back. between. Science in between. This is Scott. Yes, this is Ollie. And I have to say, you know, I thought a lot about our episode last week. I really enjoyed that oh, yeah. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. And I, don't, I, I did hear from... Uh, from a listener from the our, 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 known, our known our known, known listener, listener that they appreciated that you were able to talk about pedagogical content knowledge without qualifying it all yeah and that that shows great growth in you scott thanks is that what it is yes yeah. that's what it is <laughs> but I, I couldn't do the same with t-pack no you did not <laughs> hit a nerve there t-pack Woo. Yeah, okay. we're not going back there though. No, today. we're not. That's not. We uh, onward and upward. Onward, New territory. Onward and well, it may not be up, but it's away. Let's just it's say a, away it's from. A diff- yeah, it's a different direction. <laughs> That's right. We'll insult a different group of people today than we did last week. Hey, it's good to have goals. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag goals. Um. So um. So our. Our um. Sorry. Our. You goals. just got distracted there. You're like, oh, a shiny object. Look at yeah. that. <laughs> no, I wish. I watched it happen right there. I know. Well, I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't turn off my phone. I didn't silence my, uh, you know, devices. My devices. So I got, I got pinged. Um, so what, what I had suggested we talk about today is, is sort of this question of, you know, like one of the things we, we talk about here is, um, we want one of the key reasons we want kids to engage in these science and engineering practices in classrooms is we want them to understand that science doesn't have quote unquote right answers, right? We have we have this sense of we're developing a model. The model is to do, to explain a phenomenon, and as the model evolves and gets more uh, evidence or data, you know, we change the model. It it becomes a different model, and that doesn't mean that the old model was wrong. It just means that the old model was based on the evidence we had, and the new model is based on more evidence, and so it's a little cleaner model. Um, but the the question that I wanted to sort of talk about a little bit today is um, the challenge of what that means if we're going to talk about what is often called socioscientific issues in the classroom. So things that sort of are on the edge or blend science um, and the With social society. consequences, yeah, of that science. So, you know, I mean, we talked about Oppenheimer and, and nuclear war and sure. nuclear power. So that's certainly one. But there's a lot of these. And some of the sure. current ones are things like COVID or climate change. Or, or water you know. quality. Or, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. tons of these. Yeah. Do we fluoridate our water or not? Right. right. I mean, you know, these kinds of these kinds of questions. So I guess I just wanted to engage a little bit in a conversation about how do we think about issues that have political consequences where the models are not complete um but uh but that we we have good evidence and we have current understandings and we want to make good decisions based on what we currently understand right i mean i think that's that's the space i want to talk a little bit about today because i i do think it, it just even with socioscientific issues, I think it's important for kids to understand that the way we make decisions is by understanding what evidence we have and then using that to build a, build an understanding or a model or an explanation. And then we operate from that explanation until we can improve it. 
Yeah. So I think it's it's important for us to uh, for students to think about, OK, the science is not just like completely isolated from the world. Right. I mean, right. the stuff that we're talking about is connected to all of these really important things that are happening around them. And that sort of system thinking, that model thinking is, you know, integrated with the, the society, like our society. We're making decisions based on, you know, models, evidence and all that. Mm-hmm. And the processes we're using in our classroom are not, you know, separate They're They should be the same. Right. Right. Hopefully, because exactly that's how you learn how the models work and where they come right. from and, and how they operate in the world. So you, you don't think that they're just some sort of magical right answer. You understand that, hey, this was a this was a model that was developed from the evidence that we have and also recognize to some extent that, um, you know, these models were developed by people and therefore have have potentially some of the flaws that people have in them. I mean, I think the way this is playing out in the biggest sense right now is in AI um, and thinking about like, okay, well, we've got these large language models. Um, What are the consequences of the fact that these were developed by people um, and and their their biases, their their views on the world, other people? what's valuable, all those things get sort of implicitly built into these models in really complicated ways. So I think it's a, it's, you know, it's a bit of a touchy subject, I think, because I don't think what we're trying to say is, you know, climate change isn't real or COVID, you didn't, you know, need to follow CDC guidelines because it's just a model. Um, But we're also saying we want some nuance in this conversation because, um, because understanding how complex science is and what a powerful tool it is, it is just as important as understanding its limitations. So, uh, so many ways we could talk talk about yeah. this, and I I wonder like what's the best what's the best approach? Because like one, I I I really appreciate the the conversation around bias, um, mm-hmm. because I think that you know it it's. You know, in science, it's in all the algorithms that are used in, in you know, search engines and AI. And I mean, it's everywhere. And we just assume that, I mean, I guess you and I don't assume, but some people assume that like there isn't a bias or when they or they throw that that term bias around when they're talking about other things, not them, right? right? Yes. Or not the things that they create or use. It's yeah. the other stuff that's the yeah. bias. Yeah. You know, you know, it's it's not my science that's biased. It's your science that's biased. Mm-hmm. It's not my media that's biased. It's your media that's biased. Right. Right. You know, yeah. it's not my social media. It's your social media, right? Yeah. And, but I mean, it's everywhere. But I mean, recognizing that bias is, is I think, you know, that it's, and it's also built into it, that it's because we're all human, we're all possessed by us. And the things we create are going to by, by design, by it's, you know, it's just the way it is. Yeah. I mean, and to that point, I think it's worth just for a second, maybe talking about even the terminology that we use. So bias, when we talk about it that way, and we both use that term, right. But realistically, what does it mean to be biased? Well, it means you're human, right? It means that you have a point of view on the world. Right. And this secondarily tells us something else, which is why, you know, all this stuff about DEIB, everyone's talking about this. Well, where am I going with that? Well, the point is that if you want unbiased, which is not really possible, but the least biased, um, then what you need is lots of diverse points right. of view on the question that you're examining, because that 
It doesn't reduce bias. It actually increases, if you want to talk about that way. It diversifies the bias, though. And, and you know, this goes to a lot of the stuff that's even in the McGraney book that we've talked about, how, my, how minds change. The humans are really bad individually in terms of reasoning. What they're good at is reasoning to their answer and then what they should be doing is sharing Sharing. it with each other that's how we evolved was that the sharing of the ideas is where we get the good ideas you know the wisdom of the crowd sort of notion but but this question of like how do we how do we recognize that in in the way that we think about science and social issues that have a science you know backbone to them yeah i just think about like you know is there anything that that is is unbiased like I, that there's, I think everything that is human created has some sort of perspective or some sort of like use or design is built into the, the thing, whatever that thing is. I mean, there's nothing that like, I mean, if like my, my wife's a baker, right? She bakes cookies mm-hmm. and, but like, and lots of people say, you know, oh, she's a really good baker, but it's, she's baking from what she thinks is a good, a ch- good chocolate chip, cho- mm-hmm. chocolate chip cookie, right? She's like, this is my perspective. Is there a uh you know a, a long held truth as to what a good chocolate chip cookie is no it's all in the eye of the beholder right so like or uh, you know the taste of the beholder right um so yeah. if you're you eat it you know you know it's like ah, you know what i like my chocolate chip cookies a little bit saltier or a little bit chewier or a little crunchier or whatever mm-hmm. those are all you know biases right yeah. and so whenever somebody is creating a a system like AI or creating an algorithm for a search engine or whatever, it's all based on what their perspective is. And that I think is something we have to get better at teaching students about. Yeah. Um be and and the and the danger though is that teaching them about it then says, well there there is no there is no truth right. nothing right. is this like is every post- postmodern problem. Right. right. That is the if challenge. Everybody's that, truth is equally true. Everybody's Right. And that is the challenge. And I think that we're kind of in that, in that people are like going, well, if bias exists, then, you know, then it doesn't matter what newspaper I read because your newspaper, my newspaper, they're all, but it's based on like, okay, like the coin of the realm is evidence and Mm -hmm. how, how that evidence is examined and how it's brought into and like what counts as evidence, right? Right. And also, again, you know, I mean, if we're talking about social media or something like that, like talking about, well, if you only listen to media that has a particular bias, right. then you don't have a sense that your world is biased, right? That's okay. So if you want to say that my, you know, I read the New York Times, you say that's biased. You you watch Fox News, I say that's biased. But if we both do both of those things, then we start to say, oh, well, there there must be a middle part of this that that that's evidence based that is true truthier. Than either of those two positions, right? That's somewhere in between. No, no pun intended here for the for the podcast. But, but this idea that you know, um, that that bias is valuable if it's mixed with lots of other biases, so that you can get a sense of where the where the most accurate part of that is. But if all you do is consume your own bias, then well you're going to end up with that point of view and you're going to think that that's the truth because that's the only thing that you're exposed to. So, you know, again, I think the idea of of a science classroom, if you're going to engage in these kind of conversations is um, is you have to think about that that um, underlying 
bias or that underlying nature of human experience, right? You draw on human experiences. And this is why we talk so much in, in, on this podcast and, and about, you know, that the NGSS and all these other standards talk about this is that bringing kids lived experience into the classroom is so important because that's where you get this, like, like bias is just another way of saying your cultural experience. I mean, you talked about chocolate chip cookies. Well, if your mom made Toll House cookies off the package from Nestle's your whole life, you probably think that that's pretty close to the ideal cookie. But, you know, if you if you grew up in a place where they didn't have that and they still made chocolate chip cookies and maybe th- those folks put tahini in theirs because that seems to be a right, thing with chocolate that, chip cookies yeah. now. So and you're like, well, those are the ones and they cooked them nice and crispy and your mom made them a little soft and gooey. So, you know, your what that bias is, is really your cultural experience. Yeah, I, it's it's so much of this is like just baked into our 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 growth, our our you know lived experiences, right? Yeah. You know, it's well, you know I I think about like I read this someplace and I it was on a uh, I think it was on a podcast and I blogged about it once, but it was about this this woman who was you know cooking a turkey dinner for Thanksgiving and she was mm-hmm. like uh, you know cutting up the turkey and putting it in a and then her daughter's like you know why do you do that? Like, why do you mm. cut up the turkey that way? She's like, I don't know. I, 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 I always saw my mom do it. So, you know, so ask the mom, like, why do you cut up the turkey like this? And she said, I never had a pan that was big enough to put yeah. the turkey in. So I had to cut all, all the pieces up to fit it in. And here it became this whole process that, you know, she had developed as this is the right way mm-hmm. when it wasn't even close to the right way. It was just what a way, right? It was yeah. a way of doing it. Well, it, it was a way that was chosen based on the consider the consideration of constraints that they had, right? Like right. I have a pan this big. That yeah, the version I've heard of that is that cutting the ends off the roast. So people bring home this big, you know, beef roast, and and the, the mom cuts off both ends and then puts it in the pan, and and the the daughter is like, or the son or whoever is like, right. well, wait, why are you doing that? And she said, well, I don't know, my you know grandma did that, and. Then they go back and find out, well, no, it's just that the pan was that size. And so you had to cut off the ends. So this, you know, cultural experience and the constraints and the affordances of your own cultural experience shape the way that you think about everything, including going back to some of the other things we talked about language, like the way you think about what words mean is also grounded in your own cultural experience. So um, all of these things, you know, that that goes back to Brian Brown's work about letting people use the words that they know and understand to be able to communicate about the things that you're trying to help them work through. Right. <clears throat> if you force them to use words they don't understand and they have no cultural context for, well, they're not going to understand the underlying ideas very well because they don't know what the words mean. So you're just right. telling it's them a words, bunch of words. Word soup. Talk about. Yeah. Word soup. Yeah. So I. I I want to kind of cycle back because, you yeah. know, we've, we've kind of strayed into the, the, the political and the cultural and, the, and not that they're separate, right? I mean, I think yeah. all, all of this is related, but I think that, you know, in a science classroom and especially in today's, you know, science classrooms that, you know, it takes a deft hand to do this, right? It does. Because around um, some issues in particular, obviously. Absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, and maybe situating that process and maybe less, you know, politically charged, you know, topics may be better. I don't know. I don't know what's not a politically charged topic anymore. Yeah. Right. Well, um, yeah. the you tanker, know, the happy sad ball. The, <laughs> yeah. Right. Like all the, you know, burning sugar, like, right. Yeah. A lot of, there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of phenomenon that you can. And I, and I do think to your point that 
arguably this is not where you start. Right. right. If, if That's what I was just going to say. Yeah, okay. If you start, if you start with the climate change, right. or then evolution or, or so, yeah, like something that is going to be like so politically charged that you, there's going to be, first off, you're going to get parents calling and there's going to be yeah. kids shutting down and it's just going to be, uh, yeah. I mean, cause that's just, I think the nature of the you know, school. So we, we're working in now. Um, but if you do that, like, I don't know, you know, two thirds of the way into the school year or something, or, you know, if this is some sort of like, you know, curriculum that is, you know, mapped across multiple grade levels. And then you say, okay, we're going to talk about this subject in, I don't know, fifth grade and this object, other subject, maybe a, like when they're in ninth grade and then, you know, really inject mm-hmm. these things, you know, from a uh, intentional strategic perspective, right? When, when mm-hmm. are students most developmentally able to talk about some of these things without like, you know, I don't know, getting phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think too, like and, and building on that, that you can, you can think about um, injecting these uh, conversations about sort of critical um, sociocultural topics or, or socio-scientific topics at points at which they make good sense in the curriculum. So one example I can think of is the the middle school curriculum here. They have a unit on on hurricanes and how hurricanes form and how they get stronger and weaker. And so it's really about the physical um properties of a hurricane and how how you know the warmer sea surface temperatures create more power and how that happens and blah, 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 right? So understanding hurricanes as a phenomenon, not trying to figure out how they track or any of that other stuff. But to to go from there, okay, now we've studied how hurricanes work. Well, w- the next question might be, if you want to delve into this, some of these socio-scientific issues is, well, what happens if over time the sea surface temperature rises? Right. Okay. Well, what would that do to these hurricanes? Well, okay. So we can play that out now that we understand how hurricanes work. Like we can start to think about, well, what would happen if the sea surface temperature rises? So then you're not saying, what does you know, is climate change a real thing? You're right. posing you're a not, hypothetical. Yeah. And then you're you could not. say, well, let's look at the sea surface temperature data over the last 50 years. And, and, and lo and behold, sea surface temperature has gone up. And as a result, not coincidentally, we have a lot more hurricanes and they're a lot more powerful than they used to be. So, so and, that, they're, and they're also becoming uh, in new territories, right? There are yes. folks who get ter- right. uh, hurricanes that are like, we've never had a hurricane, especially at right. this time of the year. And it's, yeah. Yeah, because they're getting stronger and therefore they right. can they can travel farther, right? Because once the storm is more powerful, it, it maintains itself for a longer period of time. And the sea surface temperature is warmer, which continues to drive that. So anyway, that idea of like, oh, can you talk about... Um, you know, can you talk about microevolution, you know, like Darwin's Finch's sort of level of in- evolution without and talking then, about evolution and not right? talk about like we came from monkeys, which is where people say draw the line of like that can't be. But after that, have a conversation about, well, why is it important to get vaccinated? You know, because then you can say, well, think of these little critters inside your body, just like these critters, critters outside your body. Yeah. yeah. Critters. Well, I mean, I think that's why, you know, so much of the uh, the the covid conversation is I mean, this is it was a great time for science. Right. I mean, it was it was a great time time and a terrible time. All right. Yeah. But I mean, the fact that we're still talking about new variants and we'll continue to talk about new variants, it like is 
is small e evolution, like right playing out in front of us. And it provides us an opportunity to talk about that. And this is what I was saying, like a deft hand. I mean, it really, if we focus up like, hey, let's talk about theory of evolution and how we, you know, evolve from monkeys, we're like going to lose people and you're going to have angry parents and you're going to have people, you know, yeah, it's going to be challenging for you. However, if you... Uh, you know, change the focus and change the conversation and focus on the phenomenon and the Mm -hmm. questions that relate to the phenomenon. Right. And then say, okay, that then, you know, it's kind of scale up a little bit on that without necessarily scaling all the way out. Right. Right. Because it's, it's it's the ways of thinking we're developing ways of thinking and the, with our students and ways to talk about differing explanations. Great. Cause that's the thing we're creating our classrooms is different explanations that are based on evidence and someone saying, Hey, this is what my explanation, this is my explanation. And hopefully we're providing sort of like a, a way of doing this, not just in our classroom, but outside of our classroom too. Yeah. And and I think it, it continues to say, look, here's why science is useful. You've developed this model for, um, for something, you know, in this case, how a hurricane works, and there's a bunch of physics and and I guess it's mostly physics in there, right? Atmospheric physics and stuff. And so you say, well, now you've got this model. Let's see where else this model is useful. What else can it help us understand? Like once we understand Darwin's finches and why their beaks are different shapes on different islands and how that happened, well, can we then use that understanding of that underlying model to understand another phenomenon? And that And that makes it easier to make that transition because the kids – or the people, whoever they are, can now say, oh, I have a model. I understand how this works. Let me apply it here and think through it. And you don't get lost in, like, what are the implications of this in some social sense? It's just like, oh, yeah, well, let's see. If these if these viruses behave like the finches do, which we expect them to because they're biological, then, you know, they're going to adapt over time. And what does it mean for them to adapt? And you can work through that whole process. So I, w- I w- is there like a big book of, you know, SSI? I was, I used that term and you said you, you kind of balked at it before, uh, before the episode, like what's um, your hang up with that? Is it just that? No, like- no. I, so socioscientific issues has, is a field in science education or a subfield. Yeah. I guess we should say that just to explain to the, to the listener who doesn't understand this. Um, yeah. We need like, do you listen to smart lists? I, I hear in there. Yeah. Okay. So there's an ongoing joke about um, Sean's sister, Tracy, who lives in Wisconsin. And whenever something comes up, that's like too inside baseball, like inside the, 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 um, you know, community that is about, you know, acting or filmmaking or something, they always say, okay, Tracy, here's what this means. And they explain it to Tracy as a, as a sort uh... of straw person. So we need our equivalent of Tracy. We need somebody who like, okay, when we say socioscientific issues, we yeah. say, hold on, Tracy. So here's what we need to explain to you. So socioscientific issues are this field. And essentially, um, historically, it's ended up being sort of like a debate within science. So a classic example is you're like, okay, we want to place a nuclear power plant in this town. 
we don't know where it should go. And then kids play different constituents in the right. community and they learn about I did, that. I did so, this activity in my classroom yeah, way back in middle school. Yeah. yeah. Me too. Yeah. And when I was teaching environmental science, we would do these like once a month. Yeah. So, you're the mayor. You're right, exactly. You're, you're, yes. You're Everybody the had a local role. labor union. You're, yes. the, you're the environmental. Pe- I did that exact activity. I think it's exactly. based out of like one of the, like, what is it? Uh, um, pro- I used project- Tom Snyder. There were other ones. Yeah, right? like a Project Wild or something had something or mm, like yeah, 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 something like that. It might. Yeah. I don't think it was that, but it was something. Yeah, one of those some, they big curriculum. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's where the, the root of this is. How do you structure these kinds of conversations in classrooms? And this was, you know, especially in the eighties and nineties, this was a big way that this got done. Was okay, we're going to set up this scenario. We're going to divide kids into constituencies, and then we're going to sort of argue through the political um, context and and constraints of where do you do this thing? Where do we put the new water treatment plant? You know, well, it's going to stink, so I don't want it near my house, and yeah. but we don't want it too close to this, but it has to be close enough, you know. So um, anyway, so, so that's what we're talking about is how do you bring in the fact that science does impinge on social decisions that we make as as a civic or, uh, organization or as a civic entity people have to make decisions about things like this that understanding the science is important to making those decisions so how do we integrate that component into these science classrooms in a way that that continues to help them understand science but also recognizes that the science isn't perfect, and so we have to use that as a tool, as part of our toolkit to make decisions, but it isn't the only thing, but we have to understand the tool well to use it. So I'm sure Tracy ex- appreciated that. Ex- I'm sure she did. Yeah. Who are, who are, we Whoever. do need to we'll, – we'll talk offline about who our Tracy should be. Right. But um, – Yeah. 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 But like – so is there like this uh, – I don't, I don't want to say big book of – you know, SSI or a big list of topics. I know you love it. You're a big um, fan of a list. I'm a huge um, list fan. I, I'm right. always looking for a new list. Um, right. <laughs> I don't know of a big book of SSIs. Uh, I, you know, I, I know some SSI researchers, so maybe I could ask them if there's such yeah, a Yeah, because like, because that's the thing when we do this, like when we, when we do professional development, the first thing folks ask us is when we talk about phenomenon-based science is like, okay, can you give us a big list of phenomena that we can use, right? Yeah. That's that's what they ask for. And then, you know, we're like, well, you, almost anything can be a phenomenon, but here are the things you have to think about when you're selecting a phenomenon, right? right. And, they, you know, uh, like, the, okay, it's got to connect to the students and it's got to be, you know, something that they can like actually experience in a classroom and something I cl- collect data on and all. Like, so yeah. we give them sort of like, a lens to select, but they want the list, right? They yep. want a list or they want a website. Whereas, and there's some things that we can provide with that. And, but, you know, I wonder the same thing with this, because I'm sure somebody who's going to be like, okay, if I'm going to do this, you know, kind of work in my classroom, then, you know, what are some of the things I should be talking about? And it's like, yes, you know, you should be talking about climate change. That's on the list, you know, and certainly, you know, evolutions on the list, evolutions on the list and water qualities on the list, you know, and, and, you know, all the, you know, things related to that and pa- pandemics and, yeah. you know, virology yeah. that's yeah, on the yeah. list. Um, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Resistance. Um, uh, yeah. You know, when, when you vaccines, when, uh, when viruses and bacteria become antibiotic resistant. Thank you. Yes. I got there eventually. Yeah. So nice work. Um, nice work. Thank you. Uh, so that idea of, yeah, 
antibiotic resistance as being um, a mini version of what happens in evolution. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think there probably is a list somewhere or a website that has a bunch of possible socio-scientific issues. But I think this bleeds over a little into something that we've talked about in other contexts. And you mentioned it there, but I'm going to pull it out a little bit more specifically, which is, you know, choosing these phenomenon in terms of something that has a local social meaning to the kids in your class. Like the examples I gave, you know, the tanker and the hurricane and the happy sad ball and the burning sugar and these kinds of things, like kids can understand them. They can engage in them. There's something that they can look at and see, but it doesn't have a social consequence for them. Right. It's not like, Oh, well, once I understand burning sugar, now I can go out into the world and, and stop the chemical plant from being built in my town or whatever. But, um, but I think, you know, the ones that have social consequence are harder. Um, I remember one of my colleagues in, in math education, uh, Laurie Rubel, who's who's in New York, who did really interesting work in um, looking at hotspots of asthma, people with asthma in, in the local community to try and understand the relationship between human beings and their, and their lived environment. Right. So the, it, there were, there were, there were these hotspots of, of asthma. And the question is, well, why is that happening? Is it, is it genetic? Is it that this group of people are all related to each other? And so, or is it environmental? Is there something in the environment that's producing asthma in these people um, a, over time? So, you know, it's a, that kind of thing is the, one of those rare examples that they often use in places like the NGSS or others, these sort of unicorns where it's like, oh, this is a really cool thing. Maybe in some cases, the science is accessible enough for the kids to understand what the model might be there. And you can use it to help them actually investigate something in their local environment. So, um, you know, that I think if we're if we're dreaming it up, socioscientific issues in in the in the dream world are part of every unit because all of these things have social consequences and so you're trying to help kids understand that um the reality is that that's a very difficult way to organize all of the curriculum that you want kids to learn you know now we can say okay but and this goes back to our draft of yeah. what's really important like that, is that goes back really a ways that's yeah. like early days of science in between that's right but yeah. but is everything important do, yeah. do we really need them to understand everything or do we need to have them understand the process? This is an ongoing tension, but it's related to that. Well, I mean, I think, you know, when we shouldn't avoid doing it. Right. So I think that there's that we shouldn't avoid, avoid doing, doing which one like bringing in the social right. so, science issues. Right. So we should we, we shouldn't avoid them. Um, but I think the other thing that we should, you know, be mindful of is the fact that like, OK, so, yeah, that asthma hotspot research is great. But that's a contextual thing. So if you're like, okay, I'm just going to do that work in my classroom because it worked in this fifth grade classroom or this, you know, in some other environment that the the point isn't that we should be doing that, that specific thing, but we should be doing that kind of thing and being open to those, you know, moments when they happen and saying, okay, so some kid comes in and says, hey, you know, I, I did this thing or I saw this thing on my way to school today. And you're like, oh. That yeah. could be an opportunity, right? You know, exactly. That's yeah. the that's the thing is yeah. once you're developing these processes, and they can be in things that may be not as well connected to the, you know, their lived worlds, you know, all the time. I mean, it mm-hmm. should be something that should should be 
important to them or relevant to them. But whenever a kid comes in with a, you know, an idea or some sort of wandering, right, then that provides an opportunity that you're doing something that is like not something somebody else is doing. And you're applying the process, these processes of questioning, collecting evidence, you know, developing explanations, you know, reporting out, discussing things in, you know, that's that classroom social context. Those are those are things that are now applied for a public good. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, that's, that is the, the difficult thing about that transition from just a phenomenon, which can be pretty generic, right? Like all the ones that we've made as an examples are things that anybody could do anywhere. They're not, they're not contextually bound at all. Right. If you want to do contextually bound work, which is powerful and interesting, and we hope that we can do some of that, if not more of it, um, it does require you understand your context, you understand your kids, and then you understand the science that underlies the things that are in your local community. So if you're if you're an agricultural community that's near a body of water, well, maybe you're interested in the way that a fertilizer runoff impacts the the lake in terms of, well, it grows lots of seaweed and the seaweed then kills fish. And what does that mean for our local ecosystem? And you know, but that doesn't work if you live in, um, you know, in the middle of the Nebraska, yeah, right? Right. Where there aren't big lakes and there isn't a sense of, you know, there's agriculture, but there's different issues around the agriculture, right? Like what, what happens if you continue to grow the same crop on the same land for year after year after year? Um, what does that do to the, to the local soil? You know, things like that there, I mean, there, there are plenty, you know, we have fracking in Pennsylvania. So there yeah. are, there are oil and mineral issues that we could talk about in Pennsylvania that we can't talk about if you're in Michigan, right? So it is it is an interesting um, problem in that even if there is this big book, um, you don't know what chapter is the right one for you because you need to know your own local community and and work with it, which again it's a big ask for teachers. Right. But I think it comes back to like, you know, we have some themes of the show and one of the themes of the show that we do is teaching is a relational work. Mm. It's relational work, right? Mm. I mean, it's, that's, you got to know your kids. You got to know them and you got to know their, their, the context in which they live and, you know, their backgrounds. And that's the big ask. And, and I think as I, I came across a report recently about like, you know, uh, the workload of teachers and how mm. uh, demanding the job has become um, big, huge study that was done. And I, I know it's a big ask with all the other demands that are happening for teachers, but I think it's the most important thing that we do is to get to know our students because that yep. opens up so much, not in, not only in terms of the way that we can help them and support them, uh, you know, growing into, you know, healthy adults, but also, from the standpoint of, you know, just providing access for us in terms of the curriculum and the ways that we can, mm-hmm. you know, tailor the curriculum and tailor our instruction to their needs and their ideas and their things that they think they think are important. And, you know, and I think that's as the, the workload becomes more demanding, that's the thing that we're really affecting is teachers' yeah. ability to, you know, because if they're so bogged down with all of the other machinations of the job that what, what suffers is it's their you know, what suffers the suffer, what suffers is their ability to really get to know their kids. Yeah. You know, hundred no, percent. And uh, yeah, I think, yeah, well, that's, we're, I'm not going to rabbit hole into that. Cause I think sure. there's a whole bunch to well, talk right, about. Wait, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. But I agree. That's one of the themes. And I do think, you know, the other advantage to knowing your kids and drawing out that experience is that's how you understand what is culturally relevant to them. Yeah. Right. Like this idea that I know what's culturally relevant to my students, a priori without knowing them, like that's a crazy notion, right? You have to know who your kids are and therefore by extension, you know, the communities that they are part of, and then you can start to understand what things are relevant to their lives and how you might connect what's happening in the classroom to those things. But, but again, the big book of SSI doesn't solve that problem. Right. Because no matter what you look up, it may or may not be relevant to your particular group of kids, right? Because of where they live and who they are and who their families are and all of that. Yeah, I just think about, you know, when you were talking about um, knowing your students and I was, I I thought about uh, an interaction I had with a Penn State colleague of of yours when I was Mm. still a doc student and Mm. I was, had just started out, maybe I'd already completed my my uh degree but i had i was maybe in my first handful of years of teaching at millersville and one of your one of your colleagues who i had in a class was like Mm -hmm. ollie how do you work with these students today you know like as if like this generation like there's this like that all weird and broken yeah there's (laughs) but they're always different like every group of students i mean sure there's but i mean if you go back to like the 1950s and rock and roll, I'm sure somebody was going, what are we going to do with these kids today? These kids you know, today. They spend They're too much time drinking and smoking rock. and rock and roll. <laughs> right. yeah. And that, and that is why like I, I, I was in a, uh, just a, I know I'm all over the place this morning, but um, I was in a webinar where somebody was talking about artificial intelligence as like this, you know, it is the thing that's going to ruin education. And I'm like, hold on, you know, I've been in education for put 32 it on the years, list. put it on the list. It was like, you know, Wikipedia, it was calculators. It was the internet. It was social MOOCs. media. It was MOOCs. It was like, there's so many things that were going to be the yeah. next thing that ruins education yeah. and it, it didn't happen. And in fairness, know? books and blackboards and like, right. like this history goes back as long as right. we had formalized education. Yes. It's like, Oh, it's just going to totally, this is the thing, this the magic the thing. lantern, right. which, you, which you all know is, as like the overhead projector, right? Yeah. They, yeah. Well, that reminds me of this, this talk I used to do back when I was a technologist uh, a seasoned technologist is I had like this series of quotes and I asked people to, to figure out what technology they were talking about. And all of them were the ruination of schools in one form or another. Yeah. And, uh, and, but they were about the blackboard and the overhead projector and the yeah. typewriter and the, you know, all these things that were like, Oh my God, this is, yeah. this is going to be the end. And, you know, I mean, maybe AI is finally that thing. It's possible. Yeah, but uh, it doesn't seem super likely, but it's possible. Anything's possible. Yeah. Uh, well, we've covered a lot of territory there. Yeah. But I think we, we managed to stay mostly focused, but we connected <laughs> lots of ideas, to sure. this, which I think is good. I think that's, you know, I mean, well, I think that's I think, what we're hoping for. I, I think w- if we're going to talk about, you know, science and society, then that's that's the thing that, you know, it, it's all these little tendrils that kind of yeah. you know go out from these and that's kind of why we you know have these long winding you know conversations long that go down rabbit roads yes yes all right so how about how about joyce i got um, i got a pretty simple one okay then you go sweater weather well there you go sweater weather yeah. if if you're not in uh the northeastern part of the united states or um 
I I apologize, but right now it is sweater weather in northeastern, you know, America and Pennsylvania, America. Right now in Pennsylvania, leaves are starting to change, and yep. it's like it's brisk and and chilly yep. this morning as I went outside. Yep. And I was like, ah, oh, it's so great, you know. Yep. And cider I, donuts. And oh, cider donuts. Cider. Yeah, it is just fantastic. It is, yep. you know. Is crisp, perfect mornings to go on a bike ride or go for a long walk or just yep. great to be, you know, fall. And, you know, I get to see, I'm not a Halloween person, but like I'm a fall person, but, you know, those, they intersect and uh, walking yep. around seeing all the, you know, Halloween things out there. Yeah. yeah. Nice. That's yeah. a simple. It is simple, but it's but a it, good one. It brings me joy. We picked yeah. up a big half gallon of apple cider yesterday at the, you know, the orchard and yeah, yep. it's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, we went out this weekend and got apple cider donuts. I've been hankering for them for a couple yeah. of weeks now. And I'm like, this is the weekend. People are out there going, what the heck is an apple cider? It's exactly what it says. It's an yeah. apple cider. <laughs> it, it's, it's delicious. It's, it's not a yeast raised donut. It is, but it is as apple cider. This time we got apple cider and pumpkin, which I had oh, before, which was pretty yeah. good. All um, the, I'm not a pumpkin spice person. Per se, but I do no. like pumpkin flavored stuff. I do like not pumpkin spice, like cause I do like things yeah. that like a pumpkin ice cream. That's yeah. banging. A pumpkin yeah. pie, oh. pumpkin pie. Yeah, yeah pumpkin, forget about add it. Add pumpkin donuts to your list. I think. Yeah. I think at least at the place we had them, the pumpkin were a little better than the apple cider. So pumpkin whoopie pies. Have you had a pumpkin oh, yeah. whoopie? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like Tracy needs an explanation of what a whoopie pie is, but we'll leave it. We'll leave it yeah. for now. Because yeah. boy, if you, if you don't know what a whoopie pie is, you could have all sorts of things in your head about what that means. Yes. Whoopie. <laughs> okay. Um, so mine is, uh, so I like, um, I like science-y sort of images. Um, so I, my, my background is physics. We've talked about this, that Ollie and I are both physics nerds, but my uh, particular area of interest when I was in undergrad was astrophysics. So astrophysics is a lot of looking at pictures of stuff. Now it's not only that obviously, but, but, um, so I like pictures from, you know, the space telescopes that NASA puts up and they're amazing, but I just found something that I really have found to be incredibly cool, which are, uh, are these 4k renditions light of LIDAR images of rivers. So this guy, Dan Co Carto. So I'll put, I'll put the link in, in the, uh, in the show notes, but this Dan Co D A N C O E and then Carto like cartographer C A R T O. So he's done these amazing, so LIDAR is like ground penetrating radar from satellites. And he's taken that and sort of rendered them in these beautiful colors. But what you can see is not just the river itself, but the history of the river, because you can see all of the the um, movement of the river over time and all the tributaries. And you can see some of the land form around it. Um, but they're just, they're really cool. They look almost like abstracts. Um, but but I've been really enjoying them. I'm sticking on my you know the the uh, desktop um, wallpaper on my computer, and uh, you know it's just it's just amazing to see this sort of historical record of these rivers revealed in these uh, beautiful images. So um, yeah, I, I just stumbled onto this. Uh, there was a blog post about it, of course, somewhere, and I read it and went and looked at the images, and they're just really spectacular um 
So, and they're all colorized. So, you know, obviously the, this is not the actual colors that they were, but when you look at them, you can see these, you know, the, the just the organic beauty of, of rivers and how complicated they are and messy, but also, you know, so linked to, to who we are as human beings, because we put so many of our settlements near these things. I know some map people who are just going to like, look at that stuff and just go, you know, yeah. Uh, it's, su- it's super cool. Yeah, and uh, that's cool. Yeah. So yeah, check it out. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, hey, hey. science, society, you know, and other stuff today. And that's other great. stuff, outdoor uh, stuff of various types. Yeah, various, get out. Uh, you know, sweater weather or rivers. Sweater weather. Yeah. Go go and, find a river and put a sweater on and sit down and enjoy it. And if you sit there for a while, you can see it change. Yeah, mm-hmm. you'd have to be there quite a while, but that's cool. Yeah. Maybe well, some you know have what? Some time Who, who's, on their the, hands. who's the Greek philosopher that said you never set foot in the same river twice, right? A, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I was like, right. really? Oh, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Oh, deep, thoughts. Uh, deep thoughts. The, there you are. The, the Greeks. Those yes. guys. Sometimes they came up with a real banger, and that's a pretty good one. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. I, and I'll just stop right there, and we'll catch okay. you next time. In between. <laughs> See you then. Bye now. Bye now.